Y'all done talking? Yvonne, you good? I can hear you over the music, over everybody talking, everything. If you knew how many days you had to live, somebody came to you and said, you have seven days, you have 300 days, you have 500 days. Someone came to you and said, you have 1,000 days. Seems like a lot, but it's not. How would you change the way you live? Because, because I firmly believe if we knew when life was over, we change how we live. We wouldn't waste a second of this amazing gift called life. We would seize every moment. We would capture every memory. We, would, we wouldn't waste anything. We, we wouldn't worry about things like unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and holding grudges. And, and we would live life for all that life is worthy of living. And the reality is, we don't know when we're going to die. But in my attempt to be encouraging to you today, let me tell you, there will come a day when you die. Nobody's exempt from death. It might be today. It might be 25 years from now. Someone like me, it's going to be about 150 years from now. I plan on living a long time. <laughs> but we have no control over when we die, just like we have no control over when we're born. When we die, they'll put a tombstone up and they'll put the day you were born. They'll put the day you die and then in between the day you were born and the day you die will be a simple little line called the dash. Something so simple, so insignificant if you just look at the tombstone. Something that you almost don't even notice because you're focused on the day the person was born and the day they died. But the reality is everything that you accomplish in life Everything that you do in life, every good, bad, ugly, all of it is summed up in the dash. Every story you have, every good memory, legacy that you leave, hurt that you leave behind, everything that you are at the end of your life gets summed up in a simple dash. And the question in this series is very simply, what are you doing with the dash? What are you doing with the life that you have? If there was ever a time, possibly in the history of the world, where we are more sensitive to the value of life, it's the time that we live in now. For many people, they literally put their life on pause for the last 12 to 13 months. For some people, they're still living their life on pause. I see it all the time on social media. People will make some kind of comment and be like, went out to eat tonight for the first time in 13 months. Pray for me, headed to the grocery store for the first time in 13 months. Well, we're living life, breathing, heart beating, but so many people are not living life. They literally are like the zombies on the TV show. They're the walking dead. They're walking around living their life in fear. Now hear me out. I'm not saying we shouldn't live our life smart. I'm not saying that we ought to not listen to what's going on in our country. 
I'm not saying we ought to not have some wisdom behind the decisions that we make. But the Bible says over and over and over that we are not to have a spirit of fear. Matter of fact, there's 365 times in the Bible, the Bible says, do not fear. One for every day of the year. Yet so many people live in fear. We just got back from Florida. I I find it amazing sometimes, almost the stupidity of people. We're in Florida this week. And when I tell you, Florida was literally slammed. You couldn't walk. You couldn't drive. The beach was packed. And yet you would go to get in the elevator and there'd be that one person masked up, gloved up, afraid to touch anything. And I'm thinking, man, if you're living that much in fear, why are you in Florida? Literally about to hyperventilate as they see I'm about to get on the elevator with them. Which I don't blame them. That probably would have happened any time. But it's almost heartbreaking. That's not what we were created for. It's not why Christ came. The Bible says in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Christ came that we could live life exceedingly above anything that we can imagine. He came that we can live a life of success. Now, that doesn't mean what we call success. That doesn't mean we're going to live in million-dollar homes, all of us, um, million-dollar cars, whatever it is. It just means that, that we can have success in life. We can love this amazing gift called life because life is the one thing that as the time goes by, you never get it back. It's impossible. And nobody at the end of their life is going to say, man, I wish I worked more. Man, I wish I'd have stayed pissed off more. Man, I wish I'd have held that grudge more. Nobody at the end of their life is going to be like, man, I wish I'd have kept more money in the bank. They're going to look back with regret that they didn't live life. I've got a buddy of mine on Facebook And he's actually a pastor. And um, I didn't realize it was today, but everybody remembers the first time you kind of experienced death in your life. And I remember when I was in high school, one of the kids we went to high school with drowned. And apparently he drowned today, um, 30-something years ago. And the the buddy of mine said, man, still miss him. And he posted a picture of him. And and it was sobering to me because, man, we don't know if it's going to be in our teenage years. We don't know if it's going to be in our 70s or 80s or 90s. But we do know that when we come to the end of our life, our biggest regret is going to be that we didn't live life to the fullest. This amazing freaking gift called life. I told you last week, man, I love life. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I don't understand the mindset of life is supposed to be unhappy. Um, Bad things happen. Rough things happen. Hey, dare I say there's times in life when life sucks. But you can wallow in the suck or you can live life. You can camp out in the valley or you can realize I'm going to maximize every single second I have of this amazing thing called life. Because it's so precious. 
The Bible says that James' life is but a vapor. If you ever seen by vape, they, they blow out the vape, and the vape's there for like a second that goes away. And the Bible's saying, hey, in the grand scheme of things, that's what our life is. So why wouldn't we maximize it? I don't understand going through the motions when it comes to life. I don't understand taking a break when it comes about. I don't, I don't understand succumbing to the emotional things and giving in to the things, valid things like depression and anxiety, but giving in to those things and allowing them to shut us down. We have life. We have a God who came to earth for one purpose and one purpose only, that we may have life to the full. He didn't say it would all be fields of sunflowers. He didn't say it would all be sunny days. He didn't say it would all be mountaintop experiences. But he said he came that we can have life and life to the full. But Gary, you don't know my sob story. And I don't care. About 200 people here today. I could have 200 people stand up and give you a sob story. I can stand up and give you a sob story. Christine today has been married to me for seven years. She can give you seven years of sob story. You can focus on the sob, or you can focus on the fact that you are giving another day. But here's what I've learned about living life. It doesn't just happen. The default mode in all of us is to shut down. The default mode in all of us is to focus on everything that is going wrong. It's our sin nature. The devil loves when you focus on the negative instead of the positive. You can focus on everything that's going wrong or you can put a plan in place and have some guideposts along the way. You can have some gauges, if you will. On my car, there's these gauges. And I watch the gauges. Okay, I'm really lying. I don't watch the gauges, but I know I'm supposed to watch the gauges. Christine and I first got together, we had a car and the gauge was all messed up. I said, put some duct tape over it. I look at it. But the gauges are important because the gauges allow you to know how the car is running. And there's some gauges when it comes to living life. Some things that we have to constantly be evaluating in our life and checking on our life. And a plan in place for those things. Because here's the reality, and it's cliche. But when you have a plan and you work the plan, if it's the right plan, the plan works. There's a discipline, discipline that comes in working that plan. I saw something this week, though, that kind of rocked my world. I think I posted it in one of my stories on social media. It said, discipline fails. Reasons don't. And the logic was, this guy said, man, he used to try to take care of his body all the time, and he would be disciplined about it. And he would go to the gym and go to the gym because he was disciplined. He said, but the problem is there was days he didn't feel like being disciplined. And he said he would miss out on days, and after he missed one day, it was easy not to go two days, and then three days. And he said he would go on this roller coaster ride of discipline, being disciplined with his weight and his food, and then undisciplined. Then he said he went to the doctor one day, and the doctor said, Hey, do you want to live to see your daughter grow up and walk her down the aisle? He said, Yeah. 
He said, then you better start taking better care of yourself. He said he no longer takes care of himself out of discipline now. He takes care of himself because he has a reason now. He wants to walk his daughter down the aisle one day. And he said every time he feels like not going to the gym or every time he feels like putting something in his body that he knows it's time, he thinks, man, is this going to hinder me in walking my daughter down the aisle? We need to have a reason to live life. And that reason is Christ. He sent his son to die on the cross for we can have life. He died so we can live. And I hate to burst your bubble. Life is more than just working. And I believe a man ought to work. I would say the man don't work, he don't eat. I'm not anti-working. But life is more than possessions and things. It's making the most of every moment. Looking back over your life and having the least amount of regrets you can have. Because you know you seized every moment of a life worth living. Last week we talked about how to live passionately. And I talked about how we've got to take some risk in life. And we've got to do what no one else is doing if we want to get what no one else has. If you missed that, you can go to actionchurch.tv and you can download the podcast. You can go to our Facebook page and you can watch it. But you've got to live passionately. I struggled with today's message because I preached it probably more than any message I've preached. But it needs to be said again because it just doesn't seem to click. I, I've learned along the way that when I'm sick of a topic, most people are just hearing that topic for the first time. Someone asked me recently, I said, do you, do you re-preach sermons? I said, well, I only have seven sermons, so yes. I, I, he was a preacher. He said, I would never do that. I said, well, do you re-sing the same songs? Well, yeah. I said, why? Well, they're good. I said, well, man, have some sermons that are good, and you'll want to re-preach them. I struggled with this one today, though, because I wanted to bring you something new and wanted to put a new spin on it. But sometimes you don't need a new spin on it. You don't need a, a cute cliché. You just need the truth. We've got to live passionately. The second step is we've got to love completely. If you want to live life to the fullest, you better learn the power of love. Love's a weird word in our society because the English language is a very limiting language. It's not a very descriptive language. I love Christine. But I also love pizza. Same word, different meaning. 9.9 out of 10 times, I love Christine more than I love pizza. It's not the same. But we use it the same. But in the Bible, there's a bunch of different words used during that time. There's passionate love, there's friendship love, there's brotherly love. We've got to learn to love other people. Love completely. I was pondering the thought this week and I was writing down the things we've got to do to deliver. Two weeks ago when I wrote this message, I kept coming back to this phrase over and over because the reality is, is you cannot live if you cannot love. It's impossible. You might breathe without love. 
You might function without love. You might walk through your day without love. But you will never fully live life if you don't learn the power of love. And love is that thing that you're like, yeah, Gary, that sounds great. Amen. If I was to go to any church in this county, they'd be like, yes, we love. And they'd lie through their teeth. And some of you today would lie through your teeth. Because love seems like a common thing, but it's a missing thing in our society. We excel in hate. But we struggle in love. See, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Get on Facebook for two seconds. See how much love is out there. We live in a day and time. We live in a day and time where the powers that be want to do all they can to divide. They convince us how different we are instead of how The same we are. They get us to major on the minors. And they breed hate. Because when you breed hate, you can control the narrative. Let me say that. I said when you breed hate, you can control the narrative. And we hate. You know, amazing thing used to be. You could disagree with someone... And still like them. You could disagree with someone and still love them. Now we have lifelong friendships. We have families literally divided over whether they're red or blue. Whether black lives matter or all lives matter. Whether I should be able to own any gun I want or not, any gun I want. People divided over who should be allowed to get married to each other. Like, why do you care? A buddy of mine came out the other day on Facebook. It was horrible. I don't know. I might be incorrect, politically incorrect by saying this. And he came out and he said, hey, I've got an announcement, blah, 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 blah. I'm gay. And he went to this thing, and he's been in ministry forever, and he talked about how he knew that was going to be the end of all this stuff for him. And my response was, well, no crap. I've known you were gay forever. But then some guy under me commented and said, cool, more chicks for the rest of us. And I was like, awesome. And, and, but then there was other people that were furious. And I thought to myself, how does his decision remotely affect them? Or they hit a little too close to home. We love to hate. We excel in hate. Social media is nothing but piss and vinegar. People arguing over stupid stuff. You know what's sad though? Is the local church is no different. People know way more what the church is against than they do what the church is for. They know what we hate. They know what we're against. But God forbid they know we just love. Probably the proudest I've ever been of our church was about six weeks ago. There's a Facebook group called Cherokee Connect. 
Someone commented in the, set, in the post, they made a post. It was a female married to a female, and they had just moved to the area, and they said, hey, was there any church that would accept me and my family? I think it was 890-something comments. This shows you that I have no life. <laughs> Around 45 of the comments was bashing them. About 150 of the comments were people listing churches that I know good and well they'd never be accepted in. They'd be allowed to attend, and they'd be allowed to give, never be allowed to serve, and they'd never be allowed to join. And about 600 of the comments were Action Church, Action Church, Action Church, Action Church, Action Church. I was proud of you guys. We're far from perfect. And Lord knows you guys can hate. Kylie Blankenship. Kidding. Kidding. I'm not kidding. I mean, he's one of my best friends, so I can make fun of him. It's so nice to know we're also known for loving. That we care about people. I know he said something. I'll take care of it later. <laughs> it's always dangerous to get into a talking contest with the guy with the mic. Because <laughs> I will always get the last word. If you don't love, you don't live. There's a great story in Luke 10. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I preach this story frontwards and backwards, sideways, diagonal, horizontal. Because it's such a powerful story. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And and I love it because Jesus is doing his thing and he's teaching. He's slinging truth, man. And and it says, on on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Ain't it funny that the religious always want to test you? I said, the religious always want to test you. You know, I find it funny that those who don't do church in our community rarely criticize what we do at Action Church. But the religious love to criticize what we do. Had a pastor recently, I say recently, it was a few months ago, and he said, I don't know that I agree with how y'all go about doing this. I said, yeah, I get it. I thought that would defuse the situation. I just don't understand. And he just kept on. I said, yeah, I get it. I said, well, let me ask you a question, man. I'm always open to learning. How do you guys go about feeding people in the community? Oh, well, that's not what we do. I said, well, I like our method better. Ain't it funny? Doesn't even do it. I got invited about a year ago to a collaboration about 50 people in the community on homelessness. Nobody in the meeting knew who I was. That was interesting. And I sat back and I listened to them talk. And there was probably eight of the 50 that were going to start a homeless shelter in Canton. And I'm thinking, no, you're not because you can't. The city's never going to allow it. That's never going to happen. But I didn't say anything. I just sat there. And then what we should be doing and we shouldn't be doing. And then someone said, well, is anybody doing anything for the homeless? And someone said, well, Gary is. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything 
I said, the people I pastor are. Well, what do you do? And I said, we just open up our building when it drops below 32 degrees and someone's down there and they have a cot and they have food and they sleep and they have to leave the next day. And they're like, all these questions. They said, well, did you check them in? I said, no, that sounds like work. <laughs> well, do you vet them? And I was like, no, that, that sounds like judging. When all these questions, and at the end someone said, man, that sounds really awesome as an idea, but it will never work. And I said, we've been doing it for eight years. What, what, what? I said, eight years. I said, it works. The problem is they're more interested in systems. They're more interested in processes. They're more interested in the idea of loving people than they are actually getting their hands dirty and loving people. Well, we want to help. What if we form this coalition of volunteers and you send out emails? I said, that sounds like a job to me. I'm not interested. They said, you're going to burn those people out. I said, what people? At that time, we had a guy living in the building. I said, the guy lives in the building rent-free. He's here anyway. He can unlock the door. It's not a big deal. I want to complicate everything. And it literally turned in to a discussion on why it would work. So much so that in the middle of it, I just slipped out. And I don't even think they noticed. The religious. That's where the law stood up and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? How do you read it? Love how Jesus is about to answer him. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Oh, BTW, that's called living passionately. Loving God with everything that you are. You're physical, you're spiritual, you're mental, you're emotional. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. He put loving your neighbor on par with loving God. He didn't say, and then after you've done that, hey, with what you've got left over, love other people. He said, no, no, love God, love people. It's that simple. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Ah, but the religious had to be a smart aleck. He said, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? i got to love God? Cool. Love my neighbor? Cool. I like my neighbor. My neighbor looks like me. My neighbor is in the same socioeconomic class as me. My neighbor, <laughs> look at that. that bumper sticker, they vote like me. Mm. That neighbor of mine, oh, they don't go to church much, but they would say they're Christians. They believe like me. That's who I got to love? That's easy. That's simple. My neighbor, my family, my friends... People like me, people who have the same interests as me, cool. Hey, JC, I got it, baby. I got to love God and love my neighbor. 
Oh, but Jesus, being the pimp that he was, man, he took it a whole nother level. Jesus never argued with people. Jesus very rarely gave people simple answers. Other than the fact I don't think he was short and he wasn't green, I kind of picture him like Yoda. He would just go into a story. Who's my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus said, ah, man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Can't you just picture, anybody had that old granddaddy? This went in the south. They used to sit on the front porch, maybe had some overalls. Always had that real mason jar there beside him. Always had a piece of wood whittling. Probably had some old barrel out there that had some meat smoking on it. And he'd just tell stories, and you'd catch yourself listening to the stories. Because they were amazing stories. And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. I don't know about you. I would think, I would think, if I just got beat up, and a priest came by, man, that's good luck. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by him on the other side. So to a Levite, a Levite was one studying to be in this class. A Levite, when he came to this place, and saw him pass by on the other side. Let me set this up for you. A guy's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a rough patch of road. It was a curvy road. So because it was a curvy road, it was real easy for robbers to set up in the curves and you couldn't see them. It was easy to be ambushed. So it was a very dangerous road. It was a road you didn't travel at by night and you normally didn't travel alone for whatever reason this man was traveling alone and he's jumped. It was known for its high crime. So instantly, the people Jesus is talking to would have known what he's talking about. He gets robbed, he's left for, his clothes are ripped off of him, he's beaten, he's left there for dead. As he's lying there, two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, both pass him by. Who's my neighbor? Ain't that amazing? The two dudes you think would help him pass him by. (laughs) Some things never change. As I look over the landscape of Christianity today, we'd have passed that person by. We would have ignored that person. We would have looked down on that person. We would have reminded that person, hey, told you this was going to happen. You didn't want to take your guns. I say that. Told you you were going to lose your job if this happened. Sorry. Told you that market was going to crash. I told you on Facebook and you didn't listen. We'd have passed on by. Man, the church today is the same way. I love that the church got a shock to its system about a year ago. Because all of these churches that had made their church about the place suddenly couldn't gather at the place and didn't know what to do. It made it a level playing field. Suddenly, 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 it wasn't about being cool. And having the coolest building. It wasn't about how big the offerings were. 
It wasn't about, suddenly, it wasn't about nickels and noses anymore. It wasn't about technology and how many moving lights and how many guitar solos we can have in the middle of the worship song. And hey, man, I got to wear blue jeans to church today and be cool. And about loving people that were scared and hurting and fearful and didn't know what the future held. It became about being there for people for the first time in their life that maybe were thinking, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. If we're going to be the church that God created us to be, it's going to take people in this room to decide we're going to love like Jesus loves. That we're going to love completely. That we're going to think before we speak. Now hear me out. That doesn't mean I don't think you can have opinions. That doesn't mean I don't think you can stand on your convictions. Do you know you can stand on your convictions and not be offensive in the process? I do it all the time. There's nobody on social media that wonders where I stand on anything. Never. But believe it or not, I rarely get messages of people offended by it. Let me rephrase that. Offended by my delivery of it. Because you love. I don't got to agree to love. There was a post the other day, someone that we know, and they were on this pity party on social media. Everybody's coddling them. They've been coddling them for three weeks. And finally I said, man, stop being bam, 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 bam. Christian's like, you can't say that. I said, no, it needs to be said. You know the first person to love, not like, love the comment? The person I wrote it to. Loving doesn't mean not telling them the truth. But when you love them, it's all about how you deliver that truth. You're going to upset so-and-so, man. It's going to be a few. You know who was the second person to love that comment? The person we thought was going to be upset by the comment. Why? Because people are scared to death to speak the truth. And when they speak the truth, they don't know how to do it in love. Truth always needs to be spoken. But we've got to learn to love completely. So the priest has walked by. The Levites walked by. But the Bible says, but a Samaritan. That's, that's significant. I'm going to get to that in a minute. As he traveled, he came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wound, pouring oil on wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus looks at the man and said, Which of the three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell to the hand of robbers? The expert in the law said, The one who had mercy on him. He said, Go and do likewise. He said, You're to love your neighbor as yourself. That means your neighbor might not always look like you and act like you and think like you and believe like you and vote like you and make the same decisions you would make and love like you do. But our responsibility is to love no matter what the Bible says. Every man must give an account for himself. But they act like this. Shut up! You get on to your kids for that. I tell my kids all the time, I don't care what they do to you. You're responsible for what you do. But yet, a grown adults, they just got me so mad. Then you're immature. Learn to control your emotions. Grow up 
and love. Because when you love, it hurts you to hurt other people. I let my wife down all the time, but, but I love my wife. And when I let her down, it hurts that I've let her down. I don't delight in letting her down. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it also won't be so easy to be so cruel. We're to love. The Samaritan understood what it meant to love completely, to love unconditionally. And you've got to understand, this story, and I'm going to break it down for you. We're going to get out of here. This story was scandalous. Scandalous. That a Samaritan would help a Jew. So I don't understand. I'm going to get to it. Don't worry. It's shocking how scandalous it was. But in order to love completely, we don't see social standing. In order to love completely, we don't see skin color. We don't see religious beliefs, lifestyle choices. We do not love because we get loved back. That's not loving completely. We don't love because we're loved. We love no strings attached, expecting nothing in return. And when we do that, we do it because Jesus tells us to do. Every time we do a food giveaway around here, and I'm here, it's one of the reasons I don't come. Someone will pull me off to the side. Pretty sure they took double their portion. Oh, okay. You know they're never going to come to church here. Do you think that's why we do it? That's called advertising. We advertise to tell people about the church. Which, by the way, we spend zero a year in advertising. Because guess what? That's your job to tell people about the church. We don't give them a turkey or they'll come to church on Sunday. We'll give them a turkey because it's Thanksgiving. And I believe, I'm not saying you don't believe, but I believe my favorite holiday of the year, and I believe family ought to be together. And I'll be danged if someone's going to sit around in this community and not be like, well, they probably can afford Good. Then we just saved them the price of the turkey, and they can use their food stamps to get another meal some other time. Good. Win-win. But it fires some of you up so bad. Like you forgot what it was like to have nothing. Or maybe you're better than me, and you never lost everything. Maybe you've never had to live in someone's basement at 33 years of age with only the clothes in a suitcase. Maybe you've never hit bottom. But I think you have. Aren't you glad when you hit bottom, somebody came along and loved you? Three things the Samaritan man did. Three things. That was a 35-minute introduction. This is going to be quick, I promise, I'm hungry. He allowed himself to truly see the man. It's huge. He saw, don't miss this, the man. He saw the human. He saw the person. The priest saw the man and crossed over to the other side of the road. 
The Levite saw the man and passed by him. The Samaritan man saw him. And he realized everybody is somebody, somebody. He said, I don't know who this man is, but he's probably got a mama somewhere praying for him. I don't know who this man is, but he probably has a wife somewhere worried that he's not home. I don't know who this man is, but he's probably got some kids somewhere that don't know where daddy is because it's unlike daddy not to be home at night, but this man's on the side of the road. The religious, oh, this is good. The religious saw a problem. What are we going to do if the gays come in our church? (laughs) Tell you what I do when the gays come in our church. I let them greet and serve and lead worship. And I'm thinking, you suckers, you really want to join this crazy place? That's punishment enough for you. The, the gays. God. What, what, what are we going to do if... if, if how, I remember when we first started the church. How are we going to pay the bills if most of the church is homeless? I don't know. But the bills always got paid. I remember, you remember a guy walking into church with no shirt on? I remember a guy walking into church one time. Literally, I'm not even trying to be funny here. He was in DT so bad, shaking from no alcohol, that I had to send someone to the Chevron and say, the pastor of the church needs a beer. We can't sell it till noon. We'll come back afternoon and pay for it. We have to give this man a beer. We had to get beer in his system where he could quit shaking enough to sit through the service. He said, I can't believe that. Well, I don't care if you can believe that. Some saw it as a problem. I saw it as a person. Religious. See, dilemmas. I'm on all these pastor groups on Facebook. People add me to it. Everybody's like, I I never thought our church would, would blow up over politics. Well, you let it blow up over politics. I've changed none of my beliefs for those that don't believe like me. But I've never talked down about anybody who doesn't believe like me. We love. We love. It's easy. <laughs> the Samaritan man saw the man. He truly saw him. He saw his wounds. He saw his conditions. He saw the need. What would happen if we started seeing people as people? Remember when we moved in here and said, who are you going to preach to, the illegals? Well, I, don't, I don't speak Spanish, so probably not. And I got views on that. But they don't belong on this stage. Because at the end of the day, the illegals have heartbeats and minds and souls and wives and kids And more importantly, they need Jesus just like I do. I don't know that we have a race... Oh, I'm going to regret this. I don't know that we have a racism problem in our country like the news will have you to say, believe. But I believe we have a racism problem. It's a little spark. We, we like to think we're not. Oh, by the way, if you have to say you're not racist, chances are you probably are. If you have to clarify it. Illegals. Shut up. 
The first two men were distracted. They were preoccupied. They were, they were too agenda-driven to be bothered by the man. It would slow them down. But the Samaritan man, he's walking down the road, he saw the man and knew that at the end of his life, wherever he was headed wouldn't matter if he bypassed that man. He knew that it would haunt his dreams to be like, man, could I have made a difference in that guy's life? You know what I've learned, though? Because I'm guilty of this sometimes. Life is simpler not to see. It's simpler not to see. Matter of fact, when you start seeing people as people, it's a freaking hassle. Because then you got to care about them. Then you got to be there for them. When you start seeing people, it's dirty. There's risk involved. They might hurt you. I, I don't like people. They, I've been burned. Yeah, you go to work all the time and you've been burned a thousand times. You keep buying a Ford even though it broke down on you 500 times. Because granddaddy bought Fords. There's cost involved. We could have a lot prettier building and a lot nicer part of town. If Speedy quit coming to me saying we needed more food boxes. We've got to quit paying for a building that 300-something people meet in every week for AA that probably two of them go to our church. Fixing to drop five grand on a door over there because it bothers me to watch ladies come to AA and have to walk around the end of that building where I don't feel like it's safe and go through a side door. I don't think we can spend more that money better. No, I don't. It needs to be done. It needed to be done seven years ago. I can say this now because the new door will probably be put in next week if I can make the call. That door's been locked from the outside if the fire marshal ever saw it. It's the only way to keep the door standing. The door will literally fall. You know where we got that door from? Red Lobster. <laughs> we moved in that building. Fire marshal said, you got to have push doors. I said, how much are push doors? Started calling them six to $7,000. I'm driving through the parking lot. They're remodeling the Red Lobster, and there was doors leaned up against the dumpster. <laughs> the Lord provided shrimp and doors. Don't make a lot of sense because those new doors that I'm going to spend five grand on that we don't have, most of you will never walk through them. But that junkie who's at the end of their rope, they will. That addict who has no place to go, they will. It provides a... (laughs) This is really bad because you've got kids over there. If there was a fire over there, your kids would actually be able to get out safely. They'll be in by next week, I promise. (laughs) not about us. You got to see people as people. <laughs> he saw the man. Saw it. He interrupted his schedule for the man. Hey, let me tell you something. Ministry happens at the most inappropriate times. I joke all the time. I've been pastoring now 45 years old. That was 21, 24 years. No one has ever had a baby at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 
No one's ever been in a car wreck at 1 o'clock in the afternoon when I'm doing nothing. You let my wife and I go on a date. You let us go away out of town. Let it be overnight. About 3 o'clock in the morning, one of y'all are going to go to jail, be in a car wreck, or have a baby every single time. Love happens in the interruptions is my point. And you don't mind when you see people as people. They're not inconveniences. They're people. (laughs) He didn't see the man's condition and leave him behind. That wasn't an option. Loving completely means losing control of the schedule, the money, our time. And we help people out. Not only did he see the man, he accepted the man. I want you to hear me out here. There's a difference between accepting and agreeing. Did you know you can disagree with someone and still accept them? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You can't miss this. I'm going to break it down for you. This is why it's the dude was a Samaritan. The guy who was laid out was a Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Samaritan. When Israel was in captivity, they were the men or women who married their their captors and had children with them. Don't miss this. The Jews believed that if you had anything to do with a Samaritan, matter of fact, in their book, their Bible, they, they believed that breaking bread with a Samaritan was the equivalent of eating pig, which was the lowest of the low to the Jew. They actually prayed prayers. The Jews actually prayed prayers in the synagogues for God not to give forgiveness to the Samaritans. (laughs) Like, how bad do you got to hate somebody for that? Instead of being like, Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, I hate that person. Do not forgive them for anything. Forgive me, not them. God, please forgive us, but not that guy. And they hated him. They were coming down the road. They were, don't miss this, they were to cross over to the other side of the road like the priest did, the Levite did. This guy, man, he just saw a person. He wasn't worried that he was black, Spanish, white, Asian, had a Biden shirt on, had a Trump shirt on, had a rainbow flag shirt on, had an A2 shirt on. He just saw a person. A living, breathing person. It wasn't time to have a political debate with the person. It was time to accept them and love them and be there for them. (laughs) You want to live life? You love completely. Accept one another, the Bible says in Romans 15. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you, (laughs) he accepted your sorry butt. Oh, by the way, Jesus wasn't American. He wasn't white. He didn't have blonde, curly hair and blue eyes. With all due respect, he was Jewish. Mid-Eastern descent. 
And yet He died on the cross for the sins of us. Lord, have mercy. What world do we live in that we've Americanized Jesus? I'll be honest with you. I am as patriotic as they come. I'm as right-wing as they come. Shocker, I know. But I'll never allow the church to become a message of patriotism. It's the message of Jesus. Catch me outside now. We'll talk all day long. It's about Jesus. Literally, someone asked, why don't you have an American flag in your building? It's about Jesus. I love the American flag. Christine, do I love the American flag? Christine makes fun of me. She's like, oh my God, it's an American flag. Yes, it's beautiful. I love the flag. I've always loved the American flag. We bought our new house. First thing I said, I want a good flag. Run the house. I love it. My favorite thing, every time we drive by down there at the camper time place on town, like, I'm like, that's the biggest flag I've ever seen. She's like, dear God, I know. I know. You talk about the size of that flag for seven years. I know. I'm like, how do they fly that flag at half match without touching the ground? Like, I'm mesmerized with that flag. This is Jesus. We had some people mm, back this fall. I voted for. Wanted to use our building as a backup plan in case it rained for a function they were having. Without thought, I was like, no. Church isn't for that. Not for that. Had someone call me a week or so ago, wanted to know if they could use our building for some meeting. I loved the meeting. I was like, no. Church isn't for that. It's about Jesus. I know this is hard to believe. He died for the left too. I know, shocker. Hold your heart. I know, please, no one go into heart failure. I love that this church doesn't agree politically. I love that this church has people of all different levels and class, economic class. I I love that there's all kinds of different skin color. Because you know what it kind of reminds me of? I, I think it's what heaven would be like. I always say, I might be in the trailer park of heaven, but I'll be there. Man, accepting, don't miss this, accepting is when you stop trying to change someone and you cherish them the way way they are. We can accept, and guess what? It's okay not to agree. I don't agree. My wife and I don't agree on everything. She's wrong sometimes. (laughs) I want to be the most diverse church around. I love it. We're not there, but I want to be there. I want to have all colors on this stage. We're not there, but I want to be there. I want to see old worshiping next to young. 
Straight worshiping next to homosexual. Rich worshiping next to the homeless. I want to see seasoned Christians worshiping next to atheists. I want to see drunks worshiping next to those in recovery. I just think that's how it should be. Does that mean we accept the lifestyle? No, I don't agree with the lifestyle of everyone. But we accept them. Because I love this. Billy Graham, and I've said this quote a thousand times. Billy Graham, when the Bill Clinton mess hit, the church came after him. Imagine that. Because he met with Bill Clinton and prayed with Bill Clinton, and he was there with Bill Clinton. How can you do this? He's a this and that and this. And he gave one of the most famous quotes of all time. He said, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's my job to love. I don't agree with X, Y, Z. You're not God. I just think if I post this and say it this way, it's going to convince them. That's called conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You're never going to convince anyone of anything on social media. Stop. Just love. Love. Thank God he loved me when I was unlovable. (laughs) Man. Thank God. Thank God people came along and accepted me when I was in the pits of sin. The pits of screwing up. God loves people. And if God loves people, who are we not to love them? You won't see me get redneck. You let a spirit of racism enter into this place. A spirit of hatred enter into this place. You let a spirit of judging pop up in this place. And I say this as lovingly as possible. I'll burn it to the ground. I'll walk away and never look back. Or I'll walk away and go start another one. Now I got Gail living with me, so I have Christine there, Gail there, Emily, Luke. I have five people there, no matter what. Second church service I ever preached at, I had two people there. Five's an improvement. First service I had here, I had 13. I won't be associated with it. And I hate to tell you this, I don't mean this arrogantly. No one else will take this gig. <laughs> Pay's horrible. Oh no, by the way, the building's in my name. <laughs> I tried to get Grady to do it half the time, and he ran to South Carolina. Man, he's not as dumb as he looks. Accepted the man he was. I'm done right here. He acted on his love. He acted on his love. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for everything else. Here's what he did. He didn't just love, he acted on his love. Love is an action verb. It's an action. 
I can tell you I love you all day long. It means nothing. It's easy. It's just words. Love me, show me. He went to the duty bands and put him on his donkey, took him to a hotel, left the manager money, told him it wasn't enough. Listen, 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 listen. I got to get out of here. Love will always be followed by action. It's why I just have to roll my eyes when most churches say they love. Because where's the proof? The fact that you gather on Sunday? Uh uh-uh. uh. The fact that you have love weekend? One out of 52 weeks a year? Or the fact that you live it 24 7. You want to live life? Love people. Live passionately. Love completely. I'm going to say this and I'm done. This sermon is easy to preach. And it's hard to do. People are hard to love. Man, they're hard to love. They let you down. They hurt you. They don't do things like you would. It's hard. But if it's easy, everyone would do it. Love people. Today, when you go out and the server brings your food a little bit slower than you think, step back and ask yourself what's going on in her life. Maybe they're shorthanded. Maybe the kitchen messed up. It's okay you had to wait three extra minutes. You'll live, trust me. Always in a hurry. Bam, bam, bam. Snapping at people. Took my son out to eat this week. We were in Florida. He wanted oysters. That was a long wait. Student Fermi was getting so irate. And I was like, dude, you're in Florida. I can see the beach from where we are. There's women in this restaurant in bikinis. I can smell the salt air. You have a drink in your hand. What are you getting so mad about? If you can get mad in that environment, you can get mad anywhere. Man. I had this black and white support your local shirt on. I want to be like, you need to go get some support from some encouraging people. Because you're an angry individual. I kept trying to crack jokes. He wouldn't crack jokes. That's made me crack more jokes. His wife was all mad. But her shirt said she was his property, so I guess that'd make me mad too if I was my husband's property. It's like, Breathe. And enjoy life. People are hard to love, but we're to love completely. Live passionately, love completely. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about how to learn from your past. Because if you don't learn from your past, you can't live today. Let's pray.